Yo, to my uncanny mutants and beautiful minorities. Maybe you're a bit of both. In any case, we're glad to have you. We hope you survive the experience. This is Jared, the Nerd Master General. This week's episode is a skeleton crew. It's just me and cool Jared. Me and CJ, he hates it when I call him that, have been friends for an obscene amount of time. And while our esteemed co-hosts are deeply missed, it felt good talking one-on-one with my old buddy. Felt like home. And in these uncertain times, that's a feeling in short supply. I hope this conversation can give you a bit of that feeling too. This episode, we get into the topic of representation and being seen and heard in the fictional worlds we so love getting lost in. There's a movement out there right now to capitalize the B in Black, the I in Indigenous, that whoever you are, make sure you know you're not just some regular old noun, you're a proper noun. So represent yourself accordingly. In a system that seems to go out of its way to make you feel less, no matter who you are or where you come from, remember your power and always remember to capitalize yourself. Let's get into it. You want to know what we all think? Our planet's teetering on the brink. We're about to fall into unrest. We're slaves of I want to welcome everyone to Mutant Our Wait. <laughs> I want to welcome everyone to Mutant Our Minority. My name is Jared Birdsong, also known as Barack Obagnes, the first black mayor of the Shire. My old friend Jared Sams. And what do you got to say, man? Yo, what's up? Yeah, um, I am uh, the Nerd Master General, aka Spaceman Jared. Uh, that's my uh, my mutant identity. Uh, I, I, I'm very proud of it. Hey, man. You know what the funny thing about it is? I thought when we first started this podcast. Before I hit you up with the name Mutant or Minority, I had thought about calling it Jared versus Jared. <laughs> Just like a nerd debates forum, right? I you feel like a that? lot of our early com- our conversations about nerd shit is like me and you disagreeing on some nerd shit. You know what I mean? Me yeah. and you like button heads like, no, you're wrong. <laughs> I'm right. So that makes a yeah. lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You know, our normal co-host, uh, Frankie is not here. Frank Escamilla. Um, also known as uh, Professor Flex, mm. known as Professor Mex. No, I, I can't think of all the different ones he's going by. Man. It's good. You know, mutants have secondary mutations, and those secondary yeah. mutations come with secondary mutant names. So that's how I see it. It's like oh, shit, really? Frank, he has like three different, you know, he has like three different mutant powers. So he has three different mutant names. That makes sense to me. He did say it was it was a developing situation for him. <laughs> So I'm going to leave him alone a little bit. Anyways, um, real quick, man, what have you been uh, reading? Uh, what have, you, have you watched anything new that, you, that you're digging and stuff? You know, I, uh, I've been reading uh, the Sam's family. The, yeah. my, 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 my people were doing like a family book club, right? So it's like, you know, we, me and my sister got my mom a Kindle. And, and so, yeah, we're just, we're just kind of reading a book together and kind of talking about it. Um, and we're reading The Water Dancer by Tanahichi Coates. Oh, yeah. Wow. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's good. It's good. You know, like usually I try to stay away from like slave narratives because it depresses the shit out of me. You know, it's like it's like at some point and it's wrong. It's a wrong feeling. Right. But at some point you just feel like I know how that works. You know, like <laughs> I'm old enough and I've read enough of these. Right. I, I, I know that it's how it's going to end or how, what they're trying to accomplish or whatever, whatever, whatever. And uh, I just want to kind of move on. But um, what I like about it is that like, uh, and we're, I'm, I'm, we're only a third away other way through the book, but some like supernatural, like meta power shit is in it. Like, like, I think the, um, the main character is a mutant pretty much Yeah, to the point where like, cause I know Tanahishi Coates is an X-Men fan, right? Because he yeah. writes Black Panther for Marvel. He writes Captain America for Marvel. And in both of those books, he goes out of his way to put X-Men characters in it, right? Like Captain America is fighting Celine from like the Goblin's yeah. Queen story. You know what I mean? Like he's yeah. like, 
he's a hardcore X-Men head. And so, like, there's a moment at the beginning of the book where, like, the main character gets his powers. And it's yeah. like, oh, shit, this is, like, Chris Claremont's Phoenix story. Like, yeah. like this is how the Phoenix started. Like, you know, Jean Grey drowns in the water and comes out as the Phoenix kind of thing. Like, yeah. it's literally that moment where I'm like, oh, man, this is, like, it, it felt... It felt comforting in a way that I didn't expect, but um, but it's interesting, man. It, it's a it's a good book. I would say that my opinion of Ta-Nehisi Coates has flipped, probably. Yeah, I'm not gonna say 180, percent but it's flipped about 160. percent Before he started writing Black Panther, a lot of uh, I have to admit, and this is kind of um, this speaks somewhat ill of me and not of him, but. What um, it was the way people spoke about Tanahisi Coates yeah, that had, you know, sometimes like with the it was know, the fans of Tanahisi Coates that pissed yeah. you off. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They were pretentious, <laughs> so I was basically transferring their pre their sense of pretense to him. But um, I I listened to an interview he did on NPR, and it was about the most unpretentious interview I can think of. Uh, he's a it cool was, brother. Yeah. Humble, but I, I liked his approach to um, uh, his approach to his involvement in the zeitgeist, right? Like, you know, you know, people want to ask me questions about all these things that are going on with race relations, with history, with socioeconomic um, paradigms. And he, and he basically said, look, I am not the kind of person who speaks well extemporaneously, mm. but I can formulate a thought and put it in writing. He's he's very good at what he does. He's a very good writer. I mean, like uh, his language is so evocative. It's so it just gets your mind going, right? Like his it, like every other word, other sentence is like some kind of metaphor or analogy. And and, and when and when you take it all together, it all becomes a metaphor and a bigger metaphor and analogy. The construction yeah. of of the of that book is is pretty spectacular. And you know, yeah. and it, it is about it. It is a slave narrative, you know, and and yeah. and those aren't you know. Look, it's not for the weak, the, the weak of heart, but um, but the way he presents slavery is very sort of like it's very messy, you know. Like that's like I feel like it's easy to present slave narratives in like this sort of like you know they were bad and we were good kind of thing, but he presents it in this very kind of messy way that it just feels. As someone who's thankfully not a slave, it just feels like, oh man, that must be, that that feels that feels authentic. You know, it, it doesn't feel like I'm being talked down to or being preached to. It just feels like he's telling the story of this character with you know mutant abilities. So you know, <laughs> I just want to make sure that you understand that you're a bit of a kindred spirit. I mean that in the sense that it takes me forever to watch Academy Award-winning slave narratives. If it's a slave, I do. Because while you were saying that, I was thinking that's exactly the same. Maybe it's just a, a black Jared thing. There's a black dude that I went to school with in middle school, his name was Jared King. I bet you $10 to a donut. He hates watching slave movies too. too man. We need to make a crew of black Jareds and we need to just tell the world what we feel. Yeah. Straight up. But you know what? I tell people the exact same thing you just said. When people ask, if I have this conversation, look, man, I know what happened. You know what I'm saying? Like I, it's bad. There's a part of me that feels bad about it, but it's just there's a. I just you know I can't hang. It's it's the it's the idea of like you know there's the there's the the male gaze right. There's the white gaze right. And and, and like I feel like a lot a, a lot of the Academy War movies that deal with slavery yeah. feels like it's around the white the white gaze right. Like it's it's a movie made for white people to make them feel bad about slavery. You know what I mean? Like like as opposed it's, to just telling a story that maybe relates to, to like, I don't know, me as a black person. Like that's all I like about the water dancer is that like it's written by a black person, right? Like it feels like the white gaze isn't really there, right? It's it's from the perspective of a black character, you know? And, and that's I appreciate that. Cause yeah, like you're saying with the Academy Award stuff, at some point it's just like, it's like I don't need and it's not always true, right? There's a lot of great movies that are, you know, about slaves and all that stuff. But it's just like, man, I don't need a white person telling me to feel guilty about slavery. <laughs> yeah. Like, there's, there's an yeah. I finally, I finally watched 12 Years a Slave. Yeah. But it took a long time to get there. Um, um, but, um, but that said, uh, I'm also watching... Or, <laughs> gotcha. I'm also watching... Uh, 
water dancer check out but i'm, I'm watching i watched uh a netflix documentary called uh who killed malcolm x uh have you seen this, have oh, you heard this thing? it's like I have it's 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 actually pretty interesting like i don't know like i just watched it on a whim um because I'm not a big conspiracy guy. I used to be a big conspiracy guy, right, when I was, like, in my 20s or whatever. But uh, over the years, I just saw the kind of, like, toxic sort of, like, the toxic community that that believes in all that stuff. And I started, yeah. like, I started I started asking more questions, right? Like, like I feel like you get into conspiracies because you're like, oh, because I got to ask questions. I'm not a sheep. You're a sheep. I'm not. I'm asking questions. Like, who really built the pyramids? You know what I mean? Yeah. Shit like that. Yeah. But then, like, the more you see, like, the kind of other people who are into conspiracy theories, the more I had to start asking more questions of myself, and I started yeah, kind of right. chilling on a lot of that stuff. But, um, so the Malcolm X stuff, I was just like, well, it's not that complicated. It was probably, you know, the FBI or the Nation of Islam, whatever, whatever. Um, but it's just an interesting sort of, doc. Like, I think it's like six episodes. It's about this this one black cat. I think he's like a tour guide or something. Like he's just like yeah. a mild mannered black man. He's got like a family. He's not like a yeah. scholar, but he's like spent his life researching all the aspects of, of the day Malcolm X died. And to the point where he's now like an expert, to the point where scholars hit him up and be like, hey, yo, what's up, man? Like, uh, you know, it's just an interesting documentary. I mean, like, it's, I don't think the result, I don't think his, it's not so much the, uh, the, the destination is the journey, right? Like the destination yeah. he gets to is fairly obvious, right? Like it's fairly like, okay, well that makes sense. That's kind of what I thought it was anyway. If you know anything about uh, the assassination of Malcolm X, but it, the yeah. journey to get there and, and the community, because it's not really about the history of Malcolm X. Like there's other things that do that better. But this yeah. is just about his death and 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 just how human I guess yeah. Malcolm X was. Like like mm -hmm. I I think we we tend to uh, you know make our 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 our, our martyr saints right. Like they can do no wrong yeah. and but I mean like they humanize Malcolm X in a way that I think is fair and mm -hmm. I think it is important to understand that you know history is we are history is lived in right we are currently living in history like and we look at history as this thing that's it's either this or that but at the time it could have gone different ways you know what i mean that's so fascinating and history doesn't have to unfold the way it unfolded it unfolded that way because people made decisions in the moment that led yeah. to that right and so that that documentary sort of like uh plays with that a little bit and it's it's great. It's interesting. It's worth checking out. It's on Netflix. Yeah, uh, I, I with you. You know, I don't know if you remember. What I, um, I think I told you this was a few months ago. I was reading. Um, maybe about six months ago, I was reading uh, "Debating Race" by uh, Michael Eric Dyson, and he has a good line in there um, that I think is probably one of the best ones. But you know, he was talking about um, his book on Martin Luther King, and you know, you know, he had some a few things in there that were yet yeah, once again still humanized in LK. But he had made the point. He said, "You know what?" Um, saints make for bad you know saints make make for bad role models mm. that was a line you know basically saying that you know if, if we exalt um you know our martyrs or our leaders too much right you know martyrs leaders whatever if we ex exalt them too much we we put them at a level that's so unattainable that we stop trying right you know and and i mean i get it it's like you know the idea is that you know uh the, a lot of these people carry the same foibles and uh, the same idiosyncrasies, secrecies that um, we carry, right? You know, some of the personal, um, uh, they've had some of the same personal setbacks. And it's necessary for us, to some extent, to be able to see ourselves in their mistakes. Right. And it helps, right? Because especially if, if the cats that we're looking at have turned a corner, turned a positive corner for the least, right? But that's cool, man. I'm glad that... Um, you know, I haven't seen it, but I would, I would definitely try to check it out. Yeah, it's not, it's not even that long because I feel like whatever, nothing is that long anymore because there's so much yeah. content out there. But it's a pretty, you know, small footprint in terms of I think your time and stuff like that. And it's pretty engaged. Yeah. It's a little bit of a documentary. Um, but uh, what do you, what do you, what's up? What are you watching? What do you, what do you, what are you reading? What's going on in your life? I'm reading two books. I'm reading um, the Shadow Shaper by um, Dan uh, Daniela um, Jose Older. Um, he's it's cat from uh, Boricua, Brooklyn. Uh, no, it's pretty dope. It's it's about um, it seems I'm about 
30, 40 pages into it, uh, into book one. It's a three-part series. And it is about some mysticism, man. So there's, um, it's about this young lady named Sierra who is, a, um, she's, you know, you know, Puerto Rican. Yeah, she's from Puerto Rico. You know, she's, her family's Puerto Rican, living in Brooklyn. It seems to be centered around a lot of West Indian families. One of the um, other main characters is um, this kid. I can't remember his name. I think it's like Sam or something like that. He's a Haitian kid. And there's an Afro-Latina young lady who's the main character. And it's based on this idea that there are these shadow shapers. And her, um, her grandfather, um, Lucero, was trying to tell her, like, hey, you got to do some graph art to understand what's going on. So it's kind of this weird kind of um, mysticism that they're setting up in Brooklyn around these West Indian characters, right? You know, you know, when I say West Indian, I'm not just thinking Jamaicans, but I'm thinking like, you know, you know, um, Haitians, Puerto Ricanos, and as well, um, of Afro-Latino descent or of um, Haitian descent, right? But it's pretty cool so far, man. It's, it's a pretty cool little book. But like I said, I'm not that deep into it, but I'm digging it so far. Um, I'm about like 40, 40, 45 pages into it right now. Okay. And the other book I'm reading actually is... Um, is Fire and Fury by Michael Wolf. I mean, I feel like it's a very political book, but at the same time, it's kind of like just reading The Inquirer. You know, it's like a political version. It's like the political version of The Inquirer. Like there's just a conversation between Bannon and Ailes in there where they're just, you know, you know, does Trump get it? He gets it in his own way. You know, you just, it's just this sense that everyone's talking shit about him. Wow. You know, and and the only way they can, you know, for the for the for the right wing agenda, which I think that you know, um, Roger Ailes and Bannon had slightly different agendas, but the thing about it was the idea was that we can get this guy to do anything we need him to do, because he cares about nothing. You know what I'm saying? All you know, all they all we have to do is show him some upside to doing something super raw, and it's good to go. You know, and it's um, like I said, it feels like you're just reading like, you know, supermarket trash in a way. But, you know, Michael Wolf's a good reader. So I, I don't want to tell anyone not to read it because the sense of this at the same time is that it's true. It's not the Inquirer and all the things that he says in his book that remember, people were skeptical of the book. Even even some liberals were skeptical of the book. It was like, well, how did you get this much access? Yeah, yeah. Michael basically saying that, dude, man, basically it was it was a bloodbath those first hundred days of the Trump administration, it was a bloodbath and no one was paying attention to the fact that I was sitting right there. He said at first he kept trying to make sure everyone knew like, Hey, I'm going to be there today. Is it cool if I sit in on this meeting? Is it cool if it was cool if I kind of, you know, act as a gadfly during this, you know, kind of um, uh, uh, little get together you guys are going to have on a particular topic dealing with the Chinese or whatever. And it got to the point to where, no one, you know, if he stopped asking, no one was saying no. So he was just showing up and everyone was thinking, well, maybe, you know, Jared Kushner asked him to be here or maybe Ryan's previous asked him to be here, but none of them were talking to each other. So he was basically going where he wanted to be. It was, it was it's just ridiculous. It's just, it's some insight to just how just out of control those first hundred days and how unexpected all of it was for the Trump administration. Dude, like, like, it's so crazy. Like we, it, I think as a as a result of living in a society, and this isn't like a quality thing. Like I'm not saying this is bad or good or anything. I'm just saying, yeah. but as a result of a, a living in a society that like kind of lives through their through their phones or through Instagram or through yeah. you know what I mean, like like everything's entertainment, even the personal stuff. Yeah. It's hard to forget the Trump stuff. Yeah. Isn't just super interesting and super awesome entertainment to like to digest like like it's an HBO show or some shit like that that you tune in because you're just like man what's what's gonna happen this week like it's hard to forget that it's like oh no this is real though like this is like like the yeah. are high and people are being affected like this isn't just bullshit this is real uh stuff that with real stakes but it can feel like some straight up national Enquirer, just like cw fuck it it feels like a bad cw show right like it feels like like yeah. someone's cw's like hey let's let, let's make a, a political let's make the west wing but like no one there was actually at all uh you know ready to like actually make a responsible show about politics and politicians um but it's still interesting as shit man there's sex there's violence there's yeah. there's crazy yeah people. right there's someone's crazy grandpa in there too it, it's fucking awesome the funny thing about it is, is that we kind of felt this way 
about the Bush administration, the W. Bush administration, right? We kind of felt this way slightly about the first, you know, the second Bush administration. But now in retrospect, George W. Bush looked positively like Churchill. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> like he was like FDR compared to this guy, Yeah, right? he's a man of integrity. Just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just, you look back at Bush, you're like, okay, he's just a, this is a mild-mannered figure. You know what I mean? Don't get me wrong. I mean, that's, I'm not talking, you know, I'm, I haven't forgot about the war in Iraq. I haven't forgot about Katrina. But just comparatively, I mean, some of it just seems almost like small beans, despite the fact that thousands of people died during Katrina and thousands of people died in Iraq. But it just seemed like, you know, for lack of a better phrase, almost more responsible. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, you know, whatever. It's Trump. We can talk yeah. about that. <laughs> I got oh. Tendai recommended this show called um, Devs on Hulu. Oh, right. Uh, Alex yes, Garland, yes, yes. Uh, the guy who did Sunshine and Ex Machina, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. It is. Um, it's deep. You know, man. I think a lot of our sci-fi, we are used to our sci-fi projecting deep into the future, or uh, or a little bit into the future, right? But somehow we're dealing with something in the future, right? Um, you know, two thousand one, a space odyssey was slightly, slightly in the future, right? Um, Blade Runner, um, you know, Rutger Hauer, Harrison Ford, slightly in the future, right? Um, back to the future, slightly in the future. I, I digress, man. But yeah, um, Devs is a really cool show. The reason why I wanted to mention about that is that um, it's cool that it's it's sci-fi is is um is present. It exists now, and it's 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 pretty cool. Um, I would say this that for anyone who decides to watch it, um, what's the well, real fast? What's the like like sell, give me a give me a pitch, sell me like we're now there together. I'm like kid, go for it. What what yeah. what's this devs idea? Pitch. So, um, it's the the bit. It's based around this idea of, and I you know let me say this real quick. I remember there was a time you and I had a conversation about story writing, and you I remember you saying like, what's it about? Not, you know, what, not necessarily what is the framework, you know, not the superpowers that are involved. What are the cool things that, that happen, but what's it about? And this is about the, the, um, the, the conjunction of where grief and, and know-how kind of meet, right? Cause it's basically these, these, um, this is this tech genius, right? And he is trying to apply, I don't want to give any spoilers, but he's trying to apply his regrets to technology. He's trying to use technology to basically solve his regrets, to basically, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's it's pretty deep. He, um, the science is awesome. The storyline is, a lot of times we get caught up in the phasers and the running and the explosions and um, the weird aliens that show up. And, um, and those kind of act as, um, they fill the gaps a lot of times um, where the story may not be that good. But sometimes the story is really good. But this one, the best part of it, strangely enough, is the science fiction, is them talking about the science. I mean, almost in depth. It's like, it's really cool. You know, a lot of, a lot of it's because it's basically about quantum theory. A lot of the storyline is based about them discussing, uh, you know, Schrodinger's cat versus, um, was it Von Neumann, Wigner's, you know, um, idea of the multiverse, right? It's, you know, these ideas um, or that, they're really kind of throwing back at each other. That is probably some of the most imp- that interesting and entertaining parts of the story, which a lot of times you don't get in sci-fi these days, right? Because either the writer's knowledge of, sci- of science is so thin that they can only write about it in a cursory way, or, it's o- or the science is only there as a pretense for the action, right? right? And, this doesn't, and this is not like that at all. They actually dive into the science and the science is super entertaining. For me, it's been the best part of the story so far. So I'm not complete. I'm not finished with it. I'm on episode six, but it's been the best part of the, of the um, series so far. That is not an at all an excellent elevator pitch. No, you know that's actually pretty good because I mean, like, because I, yeah. you know, as someone who just loves like hard sci-fi, right? Like, yeah. I love science fiction, and yeah. I feel like a lot of it is just sort of like this sort of. Like it's, it's science fantasy, right? It's just, it's kind of yeah. bullshit, but it's fun, so you you forgive it. So yeah, yeah. tell me this is like some shit that's actually based on. It's like science fiction. It's like based in science, but it's telling a fiction story. I'm like, yeah. cool, let's do it. I, I, that's yeah, the yeah, sell, no that show that I've heard. Obviously, the science is really good. The acting's good. I'm not going to talk trash. The actors are good. Yeah. Um, 
but the science is excellent on it. I mean, that's, like, I like, that's like Alex Garland so much because, like, if you look at all of his stuff, it's very like rooted. You could tell. I'm, I mean, I'm not sure if he's a scientist or not, but I mean, you could tell he's a he's a fan of science, right? You could tell like he's like a lover of science. You could tell he yeah. puts all that in his movies, and and he doesn't shy away from. Because I think when you actually embrace the yeah. real science, you 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 start seeing, I think, opportunities to tell interesting character stories within yeah. that science, right? Like when you don't just say, I don't know, it's the multiverse, but when you actually really yes. get into the yeah. bolts of what that actually means, you're yeah. able to see there's opportunities that present itself that allow you to tell interesting stories that connect on a level that maybe you would never be able to connect to if you just kind of just told some random bullshit, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I like that you mentioned that. You know, um, so one of my best friends um, is a, a friend of mine, Corey. He actually worked on the LIGO project um, uh, to prove um, uh, some of Einstein's theories um, recently. And wow. he is a legit scientist. And I am a legit science fiction nerd. <laughs> and so it's funny. A lot of our correspondence is, you know, just, you know, me kind of, you know, saying, man, it's so cool to... Because the idea there's you know because we know that there's that space between the science fiction nerd and the actual science nerd, right? Yeah. The science fiction nerds are not necessarily. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Science nerds are not necessarily science fiction nerds. Right. If at all, a lot of times they look at that stuff and just like, "Are you serious?" And it's tough. I you know I think to myself, man, you know, as a science fiction writer or showrunner, in the back of your head, you want to be able to say, "Okay, some of the smartest scientists in the world are going to watch my movie." And not just t- you know dump their popcorn out and walk out of the <laughs> you know, so it's it's you know I imagine I would like to think that you know if I could write science fiction I would write science fiction in a way that projected just beyond the you know the known science to not seem like a fool. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Seem like what I'm proposing is outlandish and stuff. And Devs actually accomplishes that. They, it's just such a. Um, the science side of it is just so beautifully orchestrated and told and discussed and talked about that um, if there's any um, shortcomings in the story, you know, the story outside of the science, the romance side, because there has to be romance, right? If there's any shortcomings in, the, in that side of the story, the espionage side of the story, they're forgivable. Yeah. You know, I'm forgivable to get to those those, those science moments. So, it's, it's, uh, I find it funny that like I feel like I feel like a lot of people want every piece of content they they take to be to be to be good on every level, right? Yeah. You know, but sometimes I feel like if something does one thing very good, I can forgive <laughs> it. Yeah, sure, the acting could be better, or maybe the comedy could have been better, or whatever. But uh, if they nailed. A couple of key things they kind of built their story around it i think that works so i'm excited i'll check that out i'm ready I, that, that's it i'm eager to check that yeah, out. you'll like you'll like it before uh we run out of time here let's move into the danger room uh we're not gonna do the song from uh the x-men show so let's move straight into it today basically the question that we're gonna ask for anyone who's listening to to us still who um managed to <laughs> <laughs> for everyone who managed to thank you with listening me. to us by the way you know our meanderings yeah talking about our own self-interest and not dealing with um, the topic at hand today what we want to talk about is you know something i think that a lot you know that since i think was it uh, 2016 2017 with the hollywood so white um campaign that really um uh, was personified uh, or really hit its mark during the Oscars of that year. You remember that? No, I mean, yeah. It was, yeah. Uh, it was uh, Oscar So White. Oscar So White. All, all, yeah. all the people who were winning and nominated were were, were white cats. Um, and I, I can't remember what was not what came out that year, but I want to say there was a pro- couple prominent black films that came out. Yeah. Our black performances, black uh, yeah. things, things that should have been honored but weren't, and so it got people. Uh, pretty, uh, pretty, pretty, pretty hype about it, you know. But basically, what we want to, what we really want to talk about today is colorblind casting. The impetus for us talking about this today was Frankie, um, one of our other hosts, had mentioned that he was watching The Great, and that's with Elle Fanning and uh, what's my, the other cat's name? That uh, Nicholas uh, Holt. Nicholas, Nicholas Holt. Yeah. yeah, Nicholas Holt, Elle Fanning, and um, and the reason why that is is man. 
first of all, the great is outside of genre for us, right? The great. So anyone who goes to watch the great now, we should let you know there's no superpowers in it. There's no science fiction in it. It is about Catherine the Great, right? Married to um, the, the son of Peter the Great. And it is a Russian setting. But it was it, it's about, you know, the Russian monarchy at that time, yeah. where, wherever they were stationed or situated. So that's the impetus of our conversation um, to talk about this, because we want to relate that, the great, to colorblind casting in the MCU, in the DCEU as well. And, and consider that, I mean, I think for me with the great, the only reason why I wanted to have this conversation with you is that it was obvious immediately that what they were doing was colorblind casting, right? Because there's and no like, way that, yeah. And real fast, just to set it up, like, you know, there are black characters in that show, right? The show has like, it's about uh, Peter the Greats, or Peter, that's the great, the son of Peter the Great and Catherine. It's about their, uh, what do you call that? Their, it's about their court and their court yeah. has black people in it. Um, was there any, was there, are there Asian people? Were there other people aside from just black and white people? Well, um, what's his name? Um, Bavo, um, uh, Kadada Mosi plays right. Arcady. He, he's an African American actor. He's, I'm sorry, he's an Afro, um, British actor. Um, but Sasha Darwin, um, uh, plays the character Orlo, right. is East Indian. Yeah. He's so there's Indian. a there's a bunch of characters in in that uh, mm-hmm. in that setting that you know are not white. Who are not none of them are Russian. Everyone in the movie. Are in the show is either American or British or something, but I want to set that up why that's important that we're talking about Catherine the Great or the Great. Yeah, um, the young lady that's also in the court or in the aristocracy, or the one of the aristocrats for for um, this Russian setting is uh, Danusia Samal. She's Kurdish. Yeah. Um, Sebastian D'Souza plays the character Leo. He's um, a Latino character. Um, Kimmy Bo Jacobs. Uh, Marina's African as an African woman, a woman of African descent. Abraham, uh, he's the kid who plays uh, Rostov, the big dude. Right. Remember him? Right. You know, plays Rostov, African, yeah. African uh, once again in a, in the Russian court, right? And it's just there's like you know the thing about it is is that it was obvious to me. However, I was able to get past it, right? So I watched the show because the acting was good, mm. and so I get past it and be like, okay, yeah, I could just follow the story. And then two episodes later, I'd be like, there's a lot of black people around. There's a lot of brown people around. And then I get past it. And then an episode and a half later, I'd be like, there's a lot of black people around. It, you know, I mean, the acting was so good and it was done so well that you want to say that it's, it's kind of like Broadway, right? That, you know, Broadway in many ways kind of led, you know, carried the ball forward more than Hollywood did, right? right. Because Broadway was, was better you know, beyond Othello was better at saying that, you know what, we just need good actors. Right. We don't care what this actor's ethnic or racial background is. We just need good actors. And so Broadway was better about doing that initially. And as I watched it, that's what it felt like. It felt like they just needed good actors. And it felt like in a way like watching um, a Broadway piece, right, where they were just looking for the best actors. And they kind of got it. They nailed it. Right. Me right saying that it, it felt obvious is kind of partly partly my hangup, but I kind of wanted to talk about it because there's issues that they are behind the ball in many ways though still because the the MCU just did it. They just kind of did it and said, you know, we're just going to kind of do, we're just going to do this and, um, you know, give them credit. But I kind of want to talk about that because that is within genre for us. And I want to talk, I was hoping to talk to you and see what you thought about Kathy Gray. Um, juxtapose that with things like um, uh, what what's going on in the DCEU and what's going on in the MCU, or even things like Hamilton, right? Because right. when I brought this conversation up to my wife, um, she 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 said, "Well, how did you feel about Hamilton?" And for me, I said, "You know, I don't think that's a comparison. I think Hamilton was trying to do something entirely different, right?" The with Hamilton, the the casting of black and brown characters. Um, was its own storyline, right? It's, you know, it's, there is something very, very deliberate about casting, you know, an 80, 85% cast of people of color in Hamilton to tell this story, right? You wanted to have that story being told because there's, there's something implicit 
in their presence. That's the and point then, of the story. The point yeah, of the story exactly. is to draw distinction, to draw, draw attention to the fact that um, brown people, black people are part of this country. And the way you do that is you is you make a, a rap, a hip hop musical about it, right? Yeah. Like like it, it becomes germane to the experience, right? Like, exactly. but, right. But, but, you know, like, <laughs> look at art isn't made in a vacuum, right? Like, I mean, it's just, it's just that simple. So like my take on it, and I don't know how you feel about it. It feels like you have a more nuanced take, right? Yeah. My take on it is simple. If it's white people being cast as black or Asian or whatever other people, it's wrong and it's tone deaf and honestly, it's dumb, right? <laughs> but if it's if a white character is replaced by any other race in something, I'm yeah. totally cool with it. And like, yeah. look at we could we could we could argue on whether or not that casting was good. Like, was that actor good? Did that actor fill that role well? We yeah. could argue that, but in terms of like whether or not it's appropriate for like a black person, uh, an, uh, an Asian person, uh, an Indian person, or whatever to be to recast as a recast a white character, I'm like totally cool with it. Michael Clark Duncan is the kingpin. Let's do it. You know what I mean? Like 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 there was a there, there was a time when Donald Glover there was some heat behind Donald Glover being cast as like Peter Parker. Totally cool with it. Like like to me. All these characters that we love that are still in in the public consciousness, right? Like they yeah. keep on making Spider-Man movies, right? They keep yeah. on making, you know, Superman movies, right? They keep on making these these same um, characters. They keep on uh, finding a way to make them relevant and and and, and key and important to uh, like a the public discourse, right? So yeah. um, if that's the case then those characters also need to change with the changing demographic, right? Like yeah. we're looking at a world that is different now. That is, there, there, are, there are more people into geek shit yeah. than just white dudes. Like when we were coming up, not just like an old dude, but you know, this is the old, old Black Jarrett podcast, right? But, it, but you know, we, we, we were young Black Jarretts. Uh, yeah, they took uh, advantage of us, right? They took advantage of us because you know, we were essentially a captive audience in many ways that if we wanted geek shit, we had to accept what existed. Exactly, exactly. Like, you you had no choice but to be cool with whatever they put out in front of you because it's not like you're going to get a character to look like you, right? So you had to get used to the fact that, like, me and my roommate, uh, we would always just make fun of the idea that Spider-Man 2 was the first black superhero movie, right? Because yes. Peter Parker's not black, but he, but he had Parker luck, and Parker luck is just niggas luck, right? It's just niggas. Yeah. Luck. It's like, it's like, it's like you can't yeah. do nothing right. Everyone's always in your shit. You know what I mean? And even when you win, you lose. That's niggas yeah. luck, right? And so, yeah, yeah you, you as a black person, you just start being like, well, I guess he's like a black person to me, you know? Yeah. And you start kind of putting your own those traits onto that character that don't exist, right? Yeah. And so now, what people are doing. And like I'm, I'm not saying that like Marvel or whoever, they don't have a cynical reason for doing it, right? Like I think, yeah. I, I think it's smart though, right? I think there's a business, a good business reason to do it, but also like I wouldn't say a moral reason, but there's this like a just, just a good, just like hey, look it, wouldn't it be cool if we had heroes that actually look like the people who read our book or are the people we want to read our book. Cause like, how do you, how do you Marvel and look at, you know, how do you Marvel publishing and look at Marvel film and see that they're making the number one movie ever. Right. So that means not just white, white, straight white dudes, but gay white dudes, women, black people, everyone's watching your movie. And, and you got to look back at your stuff and be like, what are we doing wrong? Like what, what is it that we're doing that isn't, that isn't relating, that isn't connecting to these people. And I think part of it is, you know, your your characters are all old and stodgy and they don't look like the people who you want to read your book, right? It's because when those characters created, they just made white characters, right? Like, that's just what they made. That's what they could make. If I may ask, do you remember um, Blue Marvel? Yeah. There's a question I want to ask you about that, I think, is what we're talking about, more of an issue of addition or subtraction, right? When we talk about white characters, because we have, because the thing about it is, is we take Nick Fury, right? Now he's not, you know, he's not Captain America. He's not Spider-Man. Um, even Iron Man is barely catched up with those guys because Iron Man's only barely iconic. He's iconic now because of the movies, not because of comic books, right? Um, Captain America's iconic because he goes back. Superman's iconic for the same reason. Same with Batman. 
but Nick Fury is still kind of a cornerstone character in Marvel Comics in many ways. That's why he's a big deal in the MCU. They, you know, he's a character that kind of needs to be there in some in some way to organize the storyline. My question is, is that in a way, kind of making Nick Fury a black man is a bit of subtraction, right? It's subtraction in terms of um, white character, white male characters. He's addition in terms of uh, characters, you know, characters of color being represented. The way I ask you is: it a, is it a matter of addition versus subtraction? Is could the question be say, well, why change those characters? And real quick for any listeners, I'm just asking intellectual questions, so don't jump on me about this. Why is you being it, racist, bro? Yeah, I'm, just, I'm not the out for the cause anymore. But real quick, also that people don't think that I'm just completely losing my train of thought. The character Blue Marvel was an African-American character that I can't remember what year he came out. He is an early Marvel character um, dating back to, I think, the early 70s. And essentially, he was a Superman um, an- analog, right? He basically was super strong, could fly, had energy production projection powers, you know, he was um, impervious to bullets and, all, you know, basically all the same powers in many ways that Superman had. But the thing about it was, was as a storyline um, was written in the comic books and um, as if I'm not mistaken, in real life was that people aren't ready for this kind of a powerful black character. You know, people aren't ready for this kind of character, basically a character that uh, for all intents and purposes could destroy the world if you wanted to. Right. You know, the same way Superman's powerful enough to do something like that. Because actually, it's, I mean, the story was he, you know, he, that he got his powers in the 70s, but he's a black Superman. The world wasn't ready for a black Superman. So he just sort of like hid himself away and just became a super scientist, right? Like he's like hid himself away and just created all kinds of awesome things to save the world from from the background because he knew that if he presented himself, um, you know, face forward and the world saw him, they wouldn't accept him. But actually, he yeah. wasn't a 70s character. He's actually he's actually created in 2008. Um, and okay. by the uh, Kevin, I'm going to butcher his name, Kevin Grievous. He's the guy who yeah. wrote Underworld. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, Blue Marvel was a fantastic character. But I guess my answer to your question is no one gives a shit. Yeah, right? <laughs> right? Like, like, that's the trouble with that, right? Is like, you, you, you have to do both. You have to create new characters, right? Um, and you have to see what sticks, right? Um, and I think Blue Marvel, you know, he's one of the characters that does better than most characters that I created. And not just Black characters, but Latino characters, uh, even gay characters, right? Yeah. Um, so Blue Marvel is one that character that writers seem to come back to. But yeah. the origin of, you know, if you, did, if, if you didn't know this, the origin of Sam Jackson as Nick Fury was Marvel created a, an Avengers book that was free of uh, of all the backstory and the history of Avengers. It's called The Ultimates, right? And yes. the idea of it was, let's approach the Avengers with a clean slate in modern times, right? And the writer and artist, their whole, their whole idea was, Nick Fury should be the coolest person ever because like, you know, there's that Sir, uh, Jim Steranko run. Jim Steranko yeah. is an artist from the seventies. He did a run on Nick Fury on white Nick Fury. And yeah. it, was, it was just cool. Like it was just a cool, it was like some James Bond spy shit. So yeah. it, Nick Fury became like the coolest guy ever. And so like, yeah. So Mark Miller and Brian Hitch, the creators of the ultimates, they were just like, well, in that spirit, who's the coolest dude out there right now? And they're like, oh, it's Sam Jackson. Sam Jackson's the coolest motherfucker in the world. So let's make him Nick Fury. He's James Bond, right? Like that was the that was the impetus of, of making that character black. And we come from a time when you couldn't make black characters, right? If you were at Marvel or DC, the mandate was we need to sell books and yeah. black characters don't sell books. And, you know, and I think I, th- I think sometimes we forget that. I, for- I think we forget sometimes the history of yeah. the country and the world we live in and that a lot of the stuff that we see isn't that old. But I, I, it's important to understand that they didn't make black characters, not because those characters were need to be white for a specific reason, but because those characters, you know, had to be white. Uh, to sell books. And so now that we're in a time where the, the market and the people in that market have have expanded in such a way yeah. that we have to start 
addressing that, right? And part of that is making characters black and, and not just the small ones either, not just Nick Fury or the supporting cast. I think it's time to start making Captain America black. I think it's time to make Superman black. I think it's time to think outside the box. Like Superman's an immigrant. Why is he white? Yeah. Like make him... <laughs> To make him look yeah. Latino, you know what I mean? Like, like you yeah. know, it's like it's like why not? Like, you know, it's like what what are we holding on to at some point? Um, these characters they only go as far as the metaphor and the allegory they're trying to actually cover, right? Like they're not they, they're make believe, so we have to use them as tools to tell the stories that resonate and that are powerful, that will stand the test of time. And, and, and the idea of the stewardship of keeping them in a, in a place they were 50 years ago, it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. No doubt. Well, you know, I mean, let's go through the list real quick, because I was thinking about this, is that, um, is that if you look at all the, all, the, all the different characters currently on screen, kind of wanted to go through, not including the conflicts, but just um, uh, the faces that have changed. And just I'm just gonna run through the list. The faces that have changed in the DCU and the MCU, right? So you look at Jason Momoa, Aquaman, right? You know, um, Jaime and Hansu, um, Shazam, the Wizard. You know, the Wizard Shazam, right? Right, right. Yeah, even in the X Men universe, there's a few. Uh, Zazzy Beats plays Domino. Yeah, Domino, right? Awesome. I mean, the truth of the matter, the funny thing about it is, is that Domino in the comic books now feels more like Zazzy Beats. Yeah. Um, then there's that Shatter, Shatterstar is played by Louis Tan, he's an Asian American, um, right. uh, Asian actor. Uh, Zendaya in the Spider Spider Man universe is Zendaya Very plays Mary Jane. Flash Thompson, yeah, uh, Flash yeah. Thompson, yeah, Flash Thompson. Um, and then we get to the MCU, Sam Jackson. Obviously, here's one I think that is not. It's kind of a maybe. Tessa Thompson playing Valkyrie, right? Because in the in the comic, Valkyrie is a title, not a name. Because we know that the character in the conference is Brunhilda, right, right? Right, right, So in theory, Tessa Thompson could just be any other Valkyrie. But in the comics, none of the Valkyries are African-American, right? Except, no, well, yeah. African, except for um, Storm. And then also, what's her name? Um, uh, Daniel Moonstar. Yeah, right. right Those right. are the only two Valkyries that one American Indian and one yeah. African descent. Well, and but, those are the ones that actually aren't from like Nordic lands, right? They're not part of the yeah. mythology. They're just like sort of yeah. honorary Valkyries. Yeah, they showed up. Right, right. But conversely, though, if you go back to the DCU, um, Thermoscara has a gang of, pe of women from all over the place. Right. Which I think is a different issue that if you think of Thermoscara and, um, and Asgard or Nordic, um, maybe not Nordic, but Asgard itself, because we know that Nordic Nordic. It's, a, it's, a, it's a Nordic concept of Thor and Odin and the world. Yeah. But same thing, you would say the same thing with Wonder Woman. It's, it's Greek, yeah. right? It's very Greek. But, yeah. but the mythology itself is still mythology. Yeah. So why not? You know what I mean? That's what I'm getting at. Now, if we wanted to represent the Nordic people as a bunch of African people, that might be kind of strange. But representing the mythology as having people of color with Africans, Asians, um, Latinos, American Indians, East Indians. That's not as absurd or, or strange, right? right? The idea is that if it's a mythology, it could be whatever the mythology wants it to be. So I thought that that might exist a little bit. Because remember um, Heimdall, uh, Idris Elba is yeah, also yeah, in there. Right, yeah. Uh, Hogan, Hogan is played by, um, uh, was it a Tadano um, As Asano? I think his oh, name right. Is. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah, the Warriors yeah. 3. One of the, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, so um, Baron Mordo. Uh, Chuadel Edgia 4. Right. That was actually interesting because they didn't necessarily they change it to a white person, but they made it a woman until yeah. this went. So like that, that's interesting to me because yeah. like that worked for me, but I know it, there are people it, who are very upset about that. So I'm wondering yeah. if, if there's is it, if it's an exception because it's a woman or yeah. like if it somehow works better. Um yeah, I have to admit, I'm one of the people that accepted the exception. But I'm going to get to that, too, because there's a couple of questions, a few things I want to talk about, right? Because I was curious if there is, based on what you're talking about, is there an internal um, set-aside for people of color within that, right? Because in the New Mutants movie, um, well, real quick, let me step back real quick. Uh, go back to Sasha Dolan, right, who, who's in The Great, playing a Russian character. He's East Indian, right. but he's in The Great. He's East Indian, but he's in The Great playing... A Russian, you know, let's let's assume that uh, we're talking about Caucasians when we talk about these Russians, right? But he plays Davos, right? And Davos is, as we know in the comic books, is the son of the Thunder. The Thunder's name is Lee, is Lee Kung in the comic right. books. 
Right. Which is a, it's not an, an East Indian name. Lee Kung Sound, you know, even though we know that in the comic books, Kun Lun, um, where he's from, is a mystical city. I think, if I'm not mistaken, remember, immortal there. Am I correct? I think the Thunder lived for, I think they were the first um, Iron Fist is a woman, but that goes back to like cavemen and stuff. But nonetheless, um, all of the mythology that surrounds Kun Lun and the Iron Fist is Asian, right? right? We accepted the idea because we always had, it's not that we aren't used to the idea of the white savior, right? So we were cool with Iron Fist being a white dude. We were okay with that. But Sasha Darwin, his back, again, you know, being, you know, casted at, you know, in a, in a situation where maybe he doesn't directly reflect the actual race or ethnicity right. of the character that it's meant to be, right? Not that the complex, I don't ever remember the complex ever showing um, Davos or what is he, the serpent something, the, the steel serpent or something like that. Yeah. Is, but um, I, I think that's the difference though, right? Like, I think, like I said, I think when it's about other races taking the roles of, of, of white characters, yeah. I think it always works. I think it, I, or at least it's always appropriate. You know, I, yeah. I, I'll be hard pressed to find a version or example of that where I'm like, oh, I don't agree with that. Like yeah. in every, that's just me. I'm a black dude. So like, you know, take it for what it is. But I will, I will always think, I will always be like, no, fuck, fuck it, let's do it, right? But I think, I think the reason why Iron Fist was problematic was because they started replacing Asian characters with other races. And I think that's where you start getting like, well. Now, granted, we, we know that in the comic books. I don't remember there ever being a time that they said that the people that lived in Kun Lao or Kun Lun, why is it Kun Lao? And Kun Lun were descendants of Chinese or Koreans or Japanese or otherwise or Huns. They never say that. But, you know, maybe that's slightly dicey, but I might be, I might be nitpicking. Let me get to something more specific. Um, in the New Mutants movie that's about to come out, right? Cecilia Reyes is Afro-Latina, right? She's Puerto Rican. She's okay. from Brooklyn. But she's played by Alice Braga. But Alice Braga is not Afro-Latina. She's from Brazil. And she's playing the characters. This is like what I'm talking about. This is some of the internal POC people of color. Is, is the issue matter as much? Right. Roberto da Costa. Remember, Roberto da Costa is, once again, he's... Really? He is Brazilian of African descent, yeah. and he's played by um, Henry Zada, who is half Latino. His father is Spanish, Italian, Portuguese, um, and his mom is is um, South American Indian, right? She's right. from Brazil. And he's playing Roberto da Costa. And Roberto da Costa's, his, um, as I remember when I'm from reading um, the news, his origin story is specifically based on him being a person of color in Brazil. You know what I mean? But there's a question there. So we have to ask ourselves, you know, I gotta be honest with you. I'm kind of cool with it. And I'm mostly cool with it because I feel like um in the in the realm of underrepresented um uh ethnicity and race in Hollywood, there are some people who are that have been more underrepresented, right? Right. And I feel that to some extent that twice in the same movie could be problematic. I feel like having Cecilia Reyes and Roberto da Costa both both Afro-Latina Afro-Latino characters and Afro-Latina character both being replaced to some extent is slightly problematic. Um, but I'm not been out of shape about it because I feel like in many ways still Latino um Latino representation is even more kind of underrepresented now than African American representation. And it's even to some extent um to that same extent Asian characters right. That's the problem is it's acceptable to you because yeah. the representations for Afro-Latinos is so pathetic. It's so bad that, of course, you'll accept whatever you can get, right? Like, of course, you'll be like, yeah, okay, sure, I'll take it because it's so bad. Like, we should strive to be better, right? No doubt. Uh, but you get where I'm coming from. It's not yeah, like there yeah. is a plethora. As a matter of fact, I can think of Afro, I can think of more Afro-Latino characters in Marvel comic books than I can think of Latino characters. You know what I'm right. saying? We know Afro Latino characters. The Afro Latinos are a subset and a minority within the Latino community. I'm not saying that they shouldn't be represented, but you think that Marvel by this time would be better? Because remember, on what's Darwin? Uh, Darwin is an Afro Latino character. He doesn't look it, obviously. Right. The character Darwin in X Men comic books is an Afro Latino character. Um, but if you just knew his name, you would just think that he's a Latino character. But if you know his history, he's actually an Afro Latino character. So once again. I still feel like I'm having a hard time thinking of 
Latino characters in Marvel comic books. I mean, there's like Robbie Reyes. There's uh, there's White Robbie Tiger. Reyes. What's what's White Tiger? What's what's sister's homegirl's name? The White um, Tiger. I, I know you're talking. About, I can't think of her yeah. name. Um, she was actually on Spider Man's um, cartoon. Right, 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 <laughs> yeah. right. Uh, and, um, I mean, there's, like I said, there's not a lot, but I think that I think that's my point, right? Is like sure. at some point, it's just like when it comes to comics, or you know, these characters are old, right? And like, yeah. and part of the stewardship of these characters is making them relevant in the times that they're in, where people want to see characters look and be different than what they were before, right? Like, like, like I don't know if we're living in a conservative time where we want these characters, you know, we want Batman to always be white, right? Like, I don't know if that's the case. You know, you look at something like like uh, Miles Morales, like Into the Spider-Verse, right? Like, Peter Parker's still out there, but but that's just, I mean, that's just some, like, that's just some weird arithmetic they're doing. Like, Spider-Man is Black. Like, you know, like, 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 yeah, sure, Peter Parker exists in the multiverse, but Marvel made Spider-Man Black. And Spider-Man is their biggest character. Like, no matter how much you like the Hulk or Iron Man, Marvel makes the most money off of Spider-Man. Yeah. Over all the merchandising, over all the comics, the movies, we combine all that stuff. Spider-Man is Marvel's flagship character, and they made him black. So I look at it like, like, make Superman black, make Batman black. Like, what do you have to lose? Like, like figure it, figure it out. Because I think the idea, like I said, we talk about um, Sam Wilson being Captain America, the new series coming out, it seems like they're going in that direction. But in the comics, they did that run. Sam Wilson, Falcon, was Captain America for a spell. And for me, there's power in that, right? There's power in the notion that a Black man is representing America. Look, Clarence Thomas represents America on yeah. the Supreme Court. Ben Carson's the HUD secretary. You know what I'm saying? So I don't know if necessarily, I agree with what you, what, you know, the premise of where you're coming from. Because I'm with you, because essentially what you're saying is that what's interesting is the trials and tribulations of people existing that character. And no doubt, I will say to some extent, probably Clarence Thomas and Ben Carson probably have a few, right? Because, you know, people like you and I are, you know, we're checking the coonery box when we think of cats like that and asking what kind of shucking and jiving, you know, Amos and Andy roles are these cats playing. Um, in their relationship with the GOP and the Republican Party, right? I guess essentially what I was trying to get at is, you know, when we have these characters that are people of color with, with roles that include not just power, but iconic power, right? Which is what, you know, um, what responsibilities do, do they have to the, to the reader or to the person who's watching whatever story they're kind of giving? I'm not talking about now, at this point, I'm not talking about Clarence Thomas or Dan Carson, I'm thinking about those roles inside, like, once again, uh, Falcon becoming, Sam Wilson becoming Captain America, right? Those are the things that I'm thinking about. Or even what's his name, um, uh, Sam Jackson becoming Nick Fury. Because the problem, the thing with Jam Sam Jackson becoming Nick Fury is like well, the Winter Soldier, right? Because what was the whole problem, the issue with Project Insight in the Winter Soldier? Now, Sam Jackson, you would think that a character, an African-American man who was Nick Fury would know better. You know what I'm saying? Even if he thinks that I'm getting in control of this, the idea of having something like Project Insights, you know, essentially a, a, a computer system um, that algorithmically works in a way that it can predict whether or not someone is going to be a dissident. That's problematic. You know, so anyway, that's kind of my point with respect to, you know, when we think about Black representation, sometimes in iconic roles, right, the, the responsibility of the character could change dramatically. Well, and that's true, but I mean, but I think, I think, I think it's key yeah. that we start understanding that the black experience isn't a monolith, right? That's it, it's it, it's not it's not a thing like like fuck it, let's put some black Republicans in books. They exist, they're out there. I hate them, but they but they exist, you know, and 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 they have a perspective that is uniquely their own. And whether I agree with that experience or not, it's there, right? Like like you know. Uh, Part of Trump's victory in 2016 and potentially in 2020 is the fact that Latinos like Donald Trump for whatever reason. So, like the idea of making every wait, wait, that is not that's true. You're right. There's There's like 22% of Latinos that voted for. Well, let's say this. Actually, I think it was the number was slightly higher. There's about 28% of Latinos that voted 
for Donald Trump. There's about 8% of African-Americans who vote for Donald Trump. I just want to make sure that we're clear on those. No, and, and you know, I'm not saying all, like I said, Latinos aren't a monolith either, right? Yeah. But I'm just saying that like there are there are, there are are Latinos out there who love Donald Trump, right? And, and so like maybe it's time for us to start acknowledging that the the, the spectrum of 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 any race is yeah. is 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 complicated and it's different and, and and that's what I'm talking about right is like is like when we start putting those characters in those roles we start seeing that you know what I mean we're always like on the defensive we're always like we got to make Latino characters or Asian characters because that are nice and good because. All the ones we've done before are terrible and awful, and they're either villains or they're stereotypes. Uh, I love to get to a place where we start creating these characters and just feeling like, let's just make the best character possible. But we're not there yet. And, and I think part of the way to get there is to start, part of it is making new characters, but part of it is, yeah, taking these old characters that are white for no good reason. They're white because that was what the times dictated. And we yeah. somehow make them not white, right? We make are not straight, make them gay or, you know, whatever. We have we have opportunities and potential. Um, I would say this, that I have, I, you know, I do not disagree with what you're saying, but I will admit that I'm somewhat unconcerned with it to some extent. I think that, you know, I like the idea of colorblind casting. I think it works in the great because the acting is so good and because that what they're doing, it's a historical piece, right? It almost doesn't really matter what the color of the people um, acting is. The, the, the Great would have been an interesting story to watch if it was an all-white cast. But I'll be honest with you. I, for me, I think it's about addition, um, not necessarily subtracting more white folks, which, you know, don't wrong. However, I don't care. If they make Nick Fury black, if they make soup, they do a Superman series and Superman is, uh, um, you know, a Latina, I'm fine with it. You know what I'm saying? If they make it an East Indian character, I'm cool. But for me, honestly, it doesn't need to happen. I just want to, I, as far as I'm concerned, like, let's create some new iconic characters and make them more comprehensive in what they're trying to do, what their mission is. Batman's mission is, you know, with the history of the United States, right? Um, uh, institutionalized uh, systematic racism, right? Systematic sexism and homophobia. He's a character that at the time he was created could really have only been a white man, right? And so, I mean, I think, if, you know, so based on when he came along, you couldn't really make anything different. But the same is not necessarily true for all those characters. Like the things that you're talking about, I think they did a decent job as much as I'm one of the only people who watched that second season of Luke Cage or who watched... Um, uh, the Defender series on Netflix, there are some good things they did with the portrayal of Daniel Rand as a billionaire white man out on his mission, right? That's what I'm saying. I think sometimes the, the mission can change based on where you came from. Because Luke Cage's mission as a superhero or as a hero, whatever you want to say, in those series was different than um, Daniel Rand's mission. Daniel Rand's mission was to kick as much ass as he could to fulfill his destiny and beat the bad guys, period. But the thing about it was, if you go back and watch what Luke Cage was trying to do in that series, he was attempting to do something that he was essentially attempting to save a community. It wasn't really about the bad guys as much as it was about this community that was suffering violence, right? Yeah, but one, and one of those series is better than the other, right? Like unquestionably, yeah, right? Definitely. One of those series, like that's my point, is like from just from a just from a storytelling, just from a, a perspective of telling the most interesting story at the time you're in, I, I think I think that's the reason you want to potentially swap out a character's race or gender or uh or religion or whatever like or you know sexuality like i i think i think like i said this is all made up this is stories that we tell in the dark around a campfire to raise some kind of emotion out of out of each other right and and you know and sometimes those stories are about white dudes right mm -hmm. uh, but sometimes those stories are better with with a gay person or a black person or a Latino, you know what I mean? Like, like I think it's important for us, for writers and publishers and the people who make this, who gatekeep this content to start asking themselves those questions and start, and start wondering like, are we doing this character a service at this time yeah. with this, this current take? Hey, uh, but that's a good conversation, man. I'm glad we had a chance, we, we spoke about it. I think we should come back to that. I mean, there's a few things we want to go. I already want to go back to I kind of want to go back to our Punisher conversation. I think that this is something that we'll need to come back to as well in the future, because obviously there's going to be um, some colorblind casting in the future as well. In the meantime, I want to thank everyone for uh, uh, finding us and listening to this episode of Meet Your Minority.
Um, if you get the chance, uh, please find our website at newtonminority.com. Um, you can also go to our Instagram um, at newtonminority. Um, please, you can also find us um, at our twi- on Twitter, newtonminority as well. And also, you know, if you like us, I always hear, I always hear podcasts people do this, so I'm just going to say, if you like us, leave a review. Let us know. Uh, or if you don't like us, then maybe don't leave a review. Yeah, if you don't like us, leave a constructive review. And we'll, so feel we'll, free. You can go to the website. You can uh, fill out one of our forms and join the, the mailing list. If you don't want to join the mailing list, but you have something you want to say, like Jared said, man, just you can also you can send an email to us that way. And if you want to send one to me specifically, you can send it to the um, the, the website. If you think the things I'm saying is extremely stupid and dumb, please let me know so I can um, say more stupid and dumb. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> all right. Once again, thank you very much, and we appreciate it. Take care. Peace.